0: The Free For All Roundtable.
1: Round one. On round one, Dave Trafford is here, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario politics podcast, Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty from Betty's Law, and the part of Jerry Agar being played today by Deb Hutton, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Uh, Jerry's got the day off, so we're going to hear a lot more of you today.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm co-hosting with my longtime friend Bob Reed, but guess who's joining us? Who? Jerry Agar.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, you know I Jerry Agar is going to be a guest on the Jerry Yeager show. He is, and he doesn't and, know what a day off is.
2: What's no, I, I think
0: I think he's feeling a little left out of what's happening today, so he's going to come on and offer his opinion.
1: Right, because I, I don't know if Jerry's talked about it, but there was a sad event in the family, so he's uh, he's off looking after that. Uh, nothing, you know, major. Well, it is major that somebody passed away, but it's not somebody from his immediate uh, kids and fan family. Uh, but yeah. You you're right. Here we are. Let's set the table. Today is the day yeah. and everything gets real today. Uh, Deb Hutton, I'll let you go first. Uh, the workers are going to protest. They're going to be backstopped by all sorts of other people in unions. Some parents, I imagine, are on board with this and others definitely are not. And then you got to talk about the, the taxpayers. I mean, a lot of people wear three hats.
0: Yeah, but to me, there's only one group that matters, and that's the kids. And the kids are not in school today. There is no learning whatsoever for the majority of boards. My kids are probably still in bed, and they will not be in school today. And that is, for me, fundamentally wrong. And I'll tell you, and I, I get the perspective on the notwithstanding clause and, and the workers' rights piece. I get it. But when I hear union leaders talk only about their rights, only about their... Uh, demands when it comes to compensation, I am so disgusted because it should be about the kids. And not once yesterday did I hear Laura Walton talk about the kids.
1: Okay. Courtney, Betty, let me turn it to you. I think Deb touched on this, that there is this um, you know, chill, I guess, that people feel because all of a sudden we've got labor disruption, kids aren't in school again, and it seems all too covid all over again.
3: Well, you know, John, there's two parts to it, and, and I completely agree. The children are the ones that are hurting, and both parties, I don't think we can blame one or the other. I think both parties need to get together. But there's another part of this that is also, I find, very challenging. When, you, when, when we had the Constitution Act in 1982, it was never intended that the withstanding clause would be used every single time a government decides, hey... We, we can't resolve a matter, so we're just going to pass legislation and stick with standing clause. It's a very dangerous step that the premier has done. And it sets another precedent that, you know, our constitutional rights could continually be eroded. And I think that's something that we all have to think about. The premier could have found another way rather than using the withstanding clause because it was never intended For situations such as this. Yeah, Dave Trafford, it does seem to be an escape hatch that we're
1: using more and more. And it was originally conceived. I mean, I remember the first time it was invoked in Quebec. And it it really did seem like a nuclear option. There was supposed to be some sort of accompanying shame in having used it.
2: Four times in the last, or sorry, five times in the last four years between Ontario and Quebec. And in each of the cases, it was the court had never even declared that legislation was illegal. I mean, the, the, it never got to the courts. It was used preemptively. So, you know, I think Courtney's being a little bit optimistic in suggesting that there's a possibility... <laughs> It's already happening that the rights are being diminished and period and we're throwing this thing around like it's, you know, um, you know, it's a hand grenade. We can just do it, use it when we want to. The charter effectively is now the purview of the provincial governments of the day. Period. Stop right there. I mean, to call the uh, the strike illegal is you know you have to kind of go back a step and just understand that the legislation itself is illegal. So where does that leave us? I mean, we there's no basis in the law in terms of what anything that's going on here. Um, I think there's a bigger, much larger issue. I I understand Deb's frustration vis-a-vis the kids, but holy cow, that can't be the answer. Is just to strip them of their uh, collective bargaining rights for four years.
0: But Dave, if they have a policy goal as a government, which this government did, which is to say, after the, the pandemic, these kids need to be in school. And they know that a law to uh, give a settlement, like when you're at 11.7% and 2.5%, there's no middle ground to be had in the short term, not even in the midterm. So when you Well, know there is th-
2: if you have an arbitrator come in and deal with it. There's no mechanism here to uh, to otherwise um, deal with the lack of striking, uh, the, the ability to strike, right? You're just imposing a contract. That's why in 2015, the Supreme Court said that the Saskatchewan law was, was wrong and illegal. There was no mechanism. For uh, arbitration,
0: right. So my point is, their policy was the the policy um, intent of the government was to have kids in school, and the only way they could see to do this was because once the union declared their five day notice, was to bring forward this legislation, and the only way to do that was to override. Uh, what the courts were going to say about it. I have no issue with that. Yeah, but that. so
2: how's it work? How's it working now? I mean, they're still out. That hasn't solved the problem. That's my point. Is is that they could have gone to this and said, even if it was a one day strike, they order them back, and there's there's they require uh, our binding arbitration. So um, you know th- this could have been avoided in the
1: long term because it's not going to be over today. Yeah, Courtney, were you trying to get in on that?
3: I, I just think it's a power move that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Premier Doug Ford does a lot of great things. This is wrong. There's just no excuses for using the withstanding clause in this particular situation. A mini-update, or the fall economic update in Ottawa
1: and at Queen's Park, actually, used to just be here's how we're doing. It was like a chat with your, in you know, somebody who's handling your investments. Now, it's full of all kinds of measures that makes it half a budget in the first place. Um, Dave Trafford, um, let me ask you, your takeaway from what we learned yesterday, because the broad stroke would be Christia Freeland saying we could be into recession at some point next year, so we've got a brace for that. Then we get into all sorts of things like the uh, loan interest holiday for students uh, and various other aspects that were in the package yesterday. What stood out for you? Well, the two things
2: that you just touched on, I thought that they, they used the language that was that explicit in terms of, okay, this is really what's coming down the pipe, I thought was was a little bit, uh, an, a not a jarring, but okay, it's unusual in an update like that to sort of have that l- level of language, and there's a certain sense of uh, pessimism around it, which I thought was a little unusual, but refreshing it as much as this is where we are. But the other part of it about the student loans, I wonder when I get my rebate on the 13% I was paying on my student loans.
1: Of <laughs> course. <laughs> uh, Courtney, Betty, anything
3: stand out for you? I I just think that, you know, we've got to look at a situation. We're in a recession right now. And so we have to look at who are the individuals that are going to be hurting the most. And certainly, you know, um, individuals that are starting out their careers, etc., probably have student loans. That's a good place to start. There's still many other individuals or communities that will need some help as we go through this recession.
1: Okay. Well, actually, technically, we're not in the recession yet, and we'll find out more. Uh, We'll be looking at the dashboard this morning before the end of our show because the jobs numbers are coming out. But, Deb, your last thoughts on this file?
0: Yeah, I I still was disappointed, uh, given the amount of new spending that the government engaged in over the last three years, legitimately because of the pandemic. I was disappointed to see yet more new spending because that's just not my view of how you work your way out of a recession.
1: Let's listen in to some of the wigier testimony yesterday at the inquiry into the emergency. Act. Uh, This is a fellow who um, actually cried while he was testifying in and he was asked, what do you think the legacy of the convoy protest is? But here's also a back and forth on why he insists on calling Justin Trudeau, Justine. Are are you trying to suggest something? It's emasculating or making some kind of comments or suggesting that uh, could be a typo. I don't know. Pardon me? Could be a typo. Was it a typo? It's your words, sir. Well, maybe it's a typo. I don't know. But are you telling us it's a typo or were you trying to suggest something because you think it's somehow negative uh, to be uh, of, uh, transgender or so forth? Is as an alpha male, uh, trucker, oil patch, farm boy kind of guy. Uh, and see an old little Mr. Trudeau there in his boxing shorts with his juice box, water bottle sort of things. Yeah, we call him Justine. Okay, and Deb, people wonder why... A lot of Canadians didn't take the protesters seriously. When you got a white supremacist like Pat King and you got uh, the self-declared alpha male trying to insult the prime minister's masculinity, it's like, guys, you're not making a political point here. You're making idiots of yourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's too bad he didn't talk more during the protest because I think there would have been far less sympathy for it uh, amongst those who, you know, legitimately didn't like mandates. But certainly, I would hope wouldn't uh, support somebody like that. It's, it's really, it's, it's disheartening and it's disgusting and really disappointing. Yeah, and
1: Dave, you know, I've had a few exchanges with callers to the show from time to time who insist on calling Justin Trudeau Justine. It's not that it's an insult to the prime minister. Bring that on. It's the the sexism, the implicit sexism and homophobia of trying to emasculate a male political figure. And I just think it's um, it's unbecoming, to say the least.
2: Well, it's just funny that, that, that we go to that extreme in terms of the language of the convoy, but there's a lot of crying going on here, so I don't know what that says about them either. So um, w- w- how they kind of present themselves on the one hand as being, you know, the, the, the rough and tumble, um, and then on the other hand, uh, they get all weepy and emotional about the idea that somehow that they have initiated a worldwide movement. I mean, get a grip.
1: Yeah, it's very uh, Jordan Peterson, actually. He can cry about anything. It's phenomenal. Um, Interesting study out that finds, first of all, college students, perhaps not surprisingly, do have more than a passing acquaintance with alcohol. But also, and Courtney, I'll start with you on this one. um, The same study found that if a young person thought that their parents would disapprove of their behavior, then they would amend it.
3: Well, I I can certainly speak for myself on that, John. And, um, you know... I I see it. I see my daughters taking positions where their consumption of alcohol is just absolutely almost minimal. Um, But it is a challenge. It is a challenge within many of these universities and, um, you know, but the parental influence is absolutely key just for them to understand the dangers of it. I mean, it's not that you can't go out and drink. It's what kind of position are you putting yourself in? And that's the kind of message that I keep on um, instilling.
1: Okay, Deb, your girls are still on the young side, but um, does does. Do you sort of take heart from a study that shows that what parents think of what their kids do may actually influence what their kids do and do not do?
0: Yeah, well, sadly, uh, my 15-year-old is not too young. Uh, we're fortunate that that is not her thing. She's she's quite a, a young 15-year-old, but it is for her friends, for some of them, and so it is scary, and and I don't think at 15 it's the first time for a lot of these kids. The important thing, I, I think, is that, because we drink in our house, that they see it normalized, and they see responsible drinking, and that you have conversations conversations about it's okay, but you have to know how much you can take. And anything that changes their behavior, changes their judgment, anything beyond that is just wrong.
1: And Dave Trafford, some of the self-reported behavior was drinking until you blackout, being hung over, uh, doing things you regret. Uh, I think it was 30% said that they had ended up in sexual situations that they would not have ended up in sober.
2: Well, I got to tell you, I mean, a lot of that stuff that happened when we were in high school or in university, I mean, mean, you know, mom and dad's, uh, you know, voices were in my head. So that if I did come home and had a big head the next morning, mom just, you know, would sit there and (laughs) lord it over me. So if I didn't pay attention the first time, I was reminded
1: of it the next morning. Thank you all. Good to have you. Dave Trafford, Deb Hutton, Courtney Betty. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.